Well, good morning, everybody. We are going to be uh, talking this morning about the Holy Spirit. And so I want to begin with a prayer that um, it's a prayer for guidance. But often when we're seeking the guidance of God, we are seeking the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so that's the focus of this prayer. So that's what I'd like to begin with today. So let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, in whom we live and move and have our being. We humbly pray thee so to guide and govern us by thy Holy Spirit, that in all the cares and occupations of our life we may not forget thee, but may remember that we are ever walking in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, before we dive into the topic for today, I want to cover just a couple of things. Um, First, make sure you all have these upcoming dates. kind of on your radar. Next Sunday, of course, is Easter Sunday, and this class will be in recess. And then the Sunday after that, Bishop Lawrence will be joining us for this class. So this will be an opportunity for you all to meet the bishop and for us to spend some, him, him to spend some time with us and us with him. And I'm going to extend the invitation to those who are in the class last semester as well. So hopefully we'll get some of them as well. And then Wednesday, April 14th, that is the confirmation service. So hopefully you all have been getting um, communications about that and can get signed up um, for that, those who are going to be joining the church at that time. So just want to make sure those are on your your radar. Also want to just put in a little bit of a plug for Holy Week. Holy Week begins today. And here at St. Philip's, um, Holy Week is is kind of like a four-act play in a way. Today is Palm Sunday. It's the service that begins where we reenact the triumphal entry and we remember how Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and people laid down palm branches in front of him. That's the symbol of the palm cross that you'll receive in church today. And, um, but then the, the, the service makes a dramatic shift. We, we go from that triumphal entry and we skip over to Good Friday and we hear the reading of the Passion. And so it's almost like we're getting a beginning to Holy Week, but also a preview of what's to come. So that's Act 1. Act 2 is, takes place on Monday, Thursday, and that is a 6 o'clock service. It's a, it's a communion service, and it's a service, of course, when we remember how our Lord gave us the gift of Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, uh, Holy Eucharist. All those terms refer to the same thing. And um, it's called Monday Thursday. That comes from the Latin um, mandatum. We get the same uh, word, English word mandate. And it's the commandment that Jesus gave to his disciples. A new commandment I give to you, that you are to love one another as I have loved you. Oftentimes, good morning, Chase, at a Monday Thursday service to, to uh, symbolize that symbol uh, uh, or that uh, commandment of love, There'll be a foot washing service. That's not part of our tradition here at St. Philip's, but sometimes that takes place in some communities as an outward and visible symbol of the love that we are to have for one another, a servant love. I'm to be a servant to you all. You all to be a servant, you know, one to another um, in the kingdom of God. Then at the conclusion of the communion service, we have the, the, the regular prayer of thanksgiving that takes place after the communion liturgy. But then when normally the blessing would come, the priests exit the, um, exit the, the sanctuary there at the front of the church. They remove their surplice, that's the white thing, and then they have only their cassocks remaining. And then they come and strip everything out of the altar as a visual symbol of the stripping of Jesus when they took him, stripped him of his clothing, 
um, and, and beat him and tortured him. So again, that, that stripping of the altar is very dramatic. It starts with a very kind of upbeat, you know, the, the Lord's Supper, and then we move into the stripping of the altar, which is, um, can be very moving. Friday, obviously, is Good Friday. Our Good Friday service is at noon. And then, of course, we have Easter Day. Now, obviously, you can show up without having passed through any of these acts on Easter Day. And, and, and if that's all you're able to do, you know, that, that, that's A-OK. But there is something about walking through these movements. And I would say, you know, if you had to choose between Monday, Thursday and Good Friday, if you can come Good Friday at that noon service, it's just a it's a wonderful um, it's a wonderful service. And, and it's a reminder that in order to have a resurrection, someone's got to die. And that someone, of course, is our Lord. Um, so anyway, so that's the four acts of, of Holy Week. I'd encourage you. And, you know, if you're not able to be present with us physically, um, again, on Good Friday, I'd encourage you maybe just to, to wherever you are at the noon hour to step aside for some time of prayer, if nothing else, and just to thank the Lord for the offering of his life on the cross on Good Friday. And then, of course, Easter Sunday, we will have a, a, a great celebration. All right. Well, then let's dive into what we're going to talk about today. Uh, last week, we talked about our belief in God the Son. We, we um, had spoken about the person of Christ two weeks ago. And so last week, we talked about the work of Christ and what he has done. Had lots of questions, as we always do during that talk about heaven and the afterlife and what does it mean that Jesus descended to the dead or descended into hell. That's something I've noticed that, that always um, catches people's attention. And so we get lots of questions about that because um, we want to know what it's, what it's going to be like, what to expect. Well, today we're going to be talking about our belief in God, the Holy Spirit, who is pictured in this fresco as a dove, as he often is, as a bird. And we're going to cover two main topics about the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the personality of the Holy Spirit. That is, what, what is he like? And we're going to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. And I have to say, of the, of the three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, this is probably my favorite topic or talk because I think the Holy Spirit is that person of the Trinity that we often find most confusing, um, that people have the most questions about or know the least about, um, find him the most difficult to grasp. For about seven years, I pastored in a church in Darlington, South Carolina, just up the road, two hours up the road. And for that region of the state, PD, the Cardinal Parish was up the road from Darlington in Florence, South Carolina. There in Florence is um, St. John's Parish. There's a picture of it back um, in the early 1900s or maybe even late 1800s. Oh, no, yeah, I guess early 1900s. And um, there at St. John's Florence, there was a rector who was a much beloved um, rector, not only of the church, but also he had made a great impression on the whole community. Parson Pointer was his name. <clears throat> Parson Pointer was the rector of St. John's from 1918 to 1946, so there for a very long time. In fact, there was a, a vocational school there in Florence, not a religious school, but just a vocational school that's named for Parson Pointer because he had such an impact on the community. Well, there's a story that's told about Parson Pointer and the Holy Spirit, and it goes like this. One Sunday during a class much like ours, one of Parson Pointer's parishioners raised their hand and, and said to Parson Pointer, Parson Pointer, I, you know, I, I understand, I think, God the Father, you know, creator, we're to call him Abba, Daddy. And, and I understand God the Son, that, that Jesus, you know, he came to earth as, as a man and died on the cross for my sins. 
but I, can you just help me um, understand God the Holy Spirit? Because I'm struggling. And as the story goes, Parson Pointer kind of looked off into space and began to rub his chin. And after a while, he said, well, the Holy Spirit, he's a peculiar old fella. That was about all he said. No, that wasn't all he said. But that's how he feels sometimes. He's a peculiar old fella, the Holy Spirit sometimes. That's how people feel. Um, We understand God the Father. We've got a pretty good handle on God the Son. But as for the Holy Spirit, some can feel like I've got nothing. So if you do feel a little confused, um, you're not alone. But my hope is that today we can shed some light on the person of the Holy Spirit. So what is the Holy Spirit like? Well, the Holy Spirit is um, dynamic. And in a way, I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit in what might seem like two contradicting ways. On the one hand, um, John Stott, the author of our book, described him as a shy, reticent, self-effacing spirit. And what John Stott is talking about here in this description of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit's chief uh, ministry is not to shine a light on himself, but to shine a light on God the Son and God the Father. He has a, a spotlight Ministry, And if you go to a great performance, um, be it a play or a concert, generally you're not, you're not paying attention to the lighting, but if the lighting is doing its work, it's illuminating who's on the stage. And again, the work of the Holy Spirit often is to illuminate uh, the God the Son and God the Father. Now, having said that, <clears throat> and again, John Stott's exactly right in, in describing the Spirit that way, the Spirit can also be dynamic and can show up in surprising ways, um, in, in ways that are even a little bit, can be um, exciting or a little unsettling sometimes. So, so the Holy Spirit has both of those aspects. Again, sort of the spotlight ministry, but also a very dynamic uh, ministry as well. Both of those are true um, when it comes to the Holy Spirit. But let's start with just some basic uh, facts about the person of the Holy Spirit. First of, first of all, the Holy Spirit is God. Third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is eternal. He's always been. The Holy Spirit is active in creation, shares in its renewal. So even though we, we think of God the Father as our creator, and he is, as we read in the book of Genesis, in the beginning, God, that is God the Father, created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And here it is, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, what is that word hovering? What, what image does that bring to mind? A bird, yeah, 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 flying, fluttering, like, a, like some sort of a bird or an angel. Yes, yeah, so that's why the Holy Spirit's often depicted in, in, as, as like a bird, as like a dove. Of course, the Holy Spirit descended as a dove um, at the baptism of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit's active in creation. He's also omnipresent. He's with us here right now. But let's dig a little deeper. What about his personality? Well, the first thing that needs to be said is that the Holy Spirit is personal. He is a living person. Now, this is difficult for us to grasp because the Holy Spirit doesn't have a body. But be that as it may, Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. In fact, I've known Christians who, in order to remind themselves of this, do not use um, the definite article with Holy Spirit. So they'll say... Holy Spirit was present at Jesus' baptism. Holy Spirit is here with us now. Holy, like a name, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. 
Now, Jesus and his apostles spoke of Holy Spirit as having a personality, that Holy Spirit has a mind, feelings, a will. As for his mind, we are encouraged to have the mind of the Spirit. As Paul wrote in Romans, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Paul wrote also in Ephesians um, that we can grieve Holy Spirit. Good morning, Rachel. Good to see you. Uh, he said, um, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. So the Spirit has feelings, emotions. As for his will, we see that Holy Spirit, when, when Holy Spirit is at work, he gives to each of us different gifts. And we're going to talk about those in a minute. Um, but he gives them out by his own determining. All these gifts, but when, when Paul says these, he's talking about the gifts, spiritual gifts. All these gifts are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Each of you have been given at least one spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit has given you. So the point of all this, what I'm trying to do is to emphasize that Holy Spirit is a person. Again, not an it, but a he. Not he as in masculine, but he is in a person. So that's who Holy Spirit is. But what does he do? Let's talk now about the work of Holy Spirit. We're going to begin by looking at a passage in the Bible from the gospel according to John. And just to give you all a little bit of context, this is a passage that takes place near the end of Jesus' ministry. In fact, it's it's very appropriate for us here at the beginning of of Holy Week because it's something that Jesus said to his disciples um, on the eve of his crucifixion. So this is the Last Supper. And Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. He knows he's about to die. And so he's explaining to his disciples that that he's going to send someone else after him, a spirit. So open up your Bibles, if you would, to John 16. If you're using a classroom Bible, it's in 92. Here, I got some right here. Yeah, grab this. We're going to pick up at verse 7, but but if you look um, above the text itself, you'll notice that, that your Bible, if you're using the classroom Bible, has these little headings. Now, these headings are not part of the original text but they were put in by the editors of this particular edition just to help us find our way, you know, to kind of navigate. And what's the heading above this section? The work of the Holy Spirit, okay? So that's what we're talking about. So let's see. We're going to jump down to verse 7 to what Jesus said. He wrote this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Huh. Why, Lord? Why is it to... To our advantage. Well, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Okay, a lot in there. Let's let's take a step back and talk about what Jesus is saying here. Um, Jesus said there in verse 7, it's to your advantage that I go away. Now, I don't know about you all, but if I was there at the Last Supper with Jesus and had been hanging around following him, following his teaching, following his miracles, it would not look to me like much of an advantage to have him go away. But Jesus said, it is to your advantage. So 
Let's ponder that. Why would it be to their advantage? Or, or to put it a little bit differently, how is the work of the Spirit better or greater than the work of Jesus when he was here? How in the world could that be? <coughs> Jeff, you? Anybody <laughs> right. else want to take a guess? I don't know. How could the Spirit's work be better? Is it just that it's, it's so Mm, well, it is different, but how is it different? Is it like broader? How so? Well, it's everywhere at once. Awesome. Okay, that's the first thing. Catherine got it. Give that girl a prize. Yeah. So, oh, Joe, you're going to jump? And I don't know if it's, um, I don't know how this has to do with the Holy Spirit, so I don't know if you can explain, but yeah. he, he has to die for our sins for us to be forgiven, so that's one advantage. Well, absolutely. Yes. Abs- I mean, yes. Jesus, there's no question about it. The crucifixion was a non-negotiable. Yes. So, I mean, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, okay. So, yeah, I mean, I guess, so let's go back to what Catherine says. Catherine, you said that it, it may, the, the work of the Spirit is broader. I mean, let's just think about this. When Jesus walked the earth, he was at one place at one time. For every person that he healed, there were hundreds, thousands that were not healed. For every person he touched or encountered, there were hundreds, thousands who were not touched or encountered. Jesus was in one place at one time. Holy Spirit is omnipresent. Holy Spirit's everywhere. That's the first advantage. Second advantage, and in a sense, I mean, I get to connect it to the cross, Jesus had to pass through the cross for this to take place. But really, even when Jesus was encountering people in his, in his earthly ministry, in those three odd years that he had in ministry, um, public ministry anyway, he, he was acting on people. Certainly he had a sense of what was inside people. He, it's clear that he had insight into people's hearts, but he was working on them from without, talking to them, convincing them, speaking to them. Certainly their hearts were moved, but again, Jesus is working from without. Holy Spirit works from within to move us, to convict us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to empower us from within. I, I, um, the picture I use, going back to Darlington, I know I got a lot of stories from Darlington, but um, we were there for seven years, so you get a lot of stories when you're in a place for seven years. But the local country club had a um, fireworks display on the 4th of July. And um, the country club was sort of up on a little hill and it had a little golf course and it was you know, down, in the, in this, down the hill. And you could see it from where we were up at the country club down this little valley where um, guys from the country club would set up all these fireworks. And the kids before the show would go down and they could see these, you know, these canisters sitting down there um, right there at the bottom of the hill, a whole row of them. And... Um, you know, they had some impressive labels that made lots of claims about what was going to happen when you lit them, you know, explosive dragon and so on and so forth. But they're all in one place at one time. Once you light the fuse, what's in those canisters could be seen by the entire town. And in a sense, I mean, that's sort of the image I have is Jesus was, was with us for a particular time in a particular place for a particular season. But then when he went to the cross ascended to the Father, sent the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, it's his same ministry, but it's everywhere, everywhere. 
So yeah, so it's, that's why it's to our advantage, to his disciples' advantage, that he goes away. It universalizes the presence of Jesus, but it also internalizes the presence of Jesus. Earlier in John, Jesus explained the internal presence of the Spirit this way. He said, um, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So the, the Spirit of God is at work in you right now. Sometimes we can recognize it. Sometimes we don't recognize it, but he's at work in you right now. That's the promise of our Lord. The Apostle Paul described the internal work of the Holy Spirit this way um, when he wrote um, in Ephesians, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being. There it is so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. So again, the Spirit is bringing Christ, that's, that's his spotlight ministry, he's bringing Christ into focus in your hearts through faith. Now, what's he doing in there? Jesus has told us that, that the Spirit is at work. What's he doing? Well, the creeds don't go into detail about the work of the Spirit, but the New Testament most certainly does. And there are seven primary areas of the Holy Spirit, although the Holy Spirit um, has a ministry that is very dynamic. But the first area is Christian conversion. Conversion is the work of the Holy Spirit from beginning to end. Billy Graham was arguably the greatest evangelist of the 20th century. He died back in 2018. Here he is pictured with the author of our book at different stages in their ministry, John Stott. They were good friends. And... Um, You'll often hear people say, Billy Graham brought thousands, maybe millions to Christ. But that's not actually correct. It's the Holy Spirit that brought them to Christ. Now, now Billy Graham was the instrument, and an important instrument, and a, and, a, and a useful instrument in the hands of God, but it's Holy Spirit that brought them to Christ. Holy Spirit yearns for broken people, broken sinners, to be drawn into relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with one another. Going back to that passage we looked at from chapter 16, Jesus explains that Holy Spirit brings people to faith in this way. By convicting or, or convincing the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now what's Jesus mean there? Deep in every human heart, Though we often don't realize it or recognize it, we have a sense deep down inside that there's something not right. Um, some experience it as a sense of loneliness. Some as a sense of alienation. Some as a sense of, you know, I, I know the face that I put on in the world, but I know it's in here and it's unworthy. We have this universal sense of alienation from God. I would argue even atheists even though they might pack it down, have that same sense of alienation. And so Holy Spirit often begins his work with, with maybe a stab of conscience, a pain to our conscience, a pain of guilt, or, or maybe of drawing us out of our loneliness to say there's, there's got to be something more. There's got to be a way to connect. 
We may begin to feel some anxiety about the coming judgment of God. And, and all of this is prompted by the Spirit, not to condemn us, never, if it's condemnation, it's the voice of the enemy, but to, to convince us, to convict us, to draw us to the foot of the cross where we can receive the grace of God. He opens our eyes to see the saving power of Jesus so that we can repent and believe and experience new birth and new life. That's why the creed refers to Holy Spirit as the Lord, the giver of life. We realize the life that we have in Christ, the freedom in Christ. And once you understand all of this, it really takes the anxiety out of evangelism. Um, people hear that word sometimes, evangelism, and it sounds like a bad word. Ooh, evangelism, what is that all about? Well, our job is not to convert people. Holy Spirit converts people. Our job is simply to share, to bear witness, to, to keep an eye open for, for somebody maybe who, who might need a prayer or a word of encouragement or the knowledge that there's a God of love who wants to be in relationship with them. So we're to be attentive. We're to be ready to be used by the Holy Spirit, but it's not our job to convert people. Holy Spirit converts people. So we show up ready and willing to serve, and then we let the Spirit do his work. <clears throat> well, the second work of the Holy Spirit is Christian assurance. We talked about this back in chapter 2. Um, our baptismal service puts it this way. Um, when someone is baptized, the minister says, you are sealed by Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. That is, Holy Spirit will begin to assure you, to give that, you that internal assurance that you are God's child. You have been adopted. Yes, you, 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 you may become wayward. Yes, you may grieve Holy Spirit. Yes, you may turn your back on the call of God from time to time. Sadly, that will be our story in this life. But Holy Spirit empowers us to cry out in confidence, Abba, Father, and to know that he will respond, yes, my child. And when the enemy begins to whisper doubts in your ear, like God couldn't love you, God couldn't forgive you, Holy Spirit wells up in you to say, no, I am a child of God. I have been marked as Christ's own forever. I have been given an inheritance that cannot be taken away. Get behind me, Satan. So the Spirit is at work giving us blessed assurance. Thirdly, um, the Holy Spirit is, is at work in Christian holiness. That is, the Christian life is a holy life because our God is a holy God. Now, holy is one of those terms that we throw around a lot. Holy, holy, holy. Um, but what, what, is, what does it mean to be holy? What, what is holy? Even in the broadest sense, if we step back even from the Christian context, what does it mean if something is Holy. Complete, yep. Set apart, yep. Sacred. Um, I might even, if I could just use sort of a commentary, I might even say different, you know. Um, distinct from the world around us. So, so if that's what holiness means in a, in a broad sense, let me ask you all the question, how are we to be different than our non-believing neighbors? In other words, you've got some neighbors they're not believers. They want to live a good and moral life. What sets you apart? Anybody get caught in a traffic jam this morning? So what's, what's one thing that sets you all apart? 
<laughs> now, why, why weren't you in a traffic jam this morning? No one was on the road, except for Joe and Caroline, who were leaving their neighborhood to come to, to worship the Lord. Yeah, one of the things that sets us apart, that people might look at us and say, aren't they odd? They don't sleep in on Sunday. What, what, what's with those crazy Christians? First thing is, we worship God. And we honor the Sabbath. We take this time that God has given us, and we give it back to Him in worship. So worship is the first thing. What else? What are some other ways we might be different? Some other things you might do that your neighbors who are fine people, but, but they wouldn't do because they're not believers in God. Okay, serving others. Although I would say they, they, they would do that as well. But yeah, there might be some differences in how we do that. But what are some things that are distinct about us? Yes, yes. If, if a minister is fishing for, you know, an answer, God, Jesus, or pray is always a good, you know, if you like, what, what is it? God, you, yeah, yeah, your non-believing neighbors don't pray. And so, you know, I'm just getting to know you all. I don't know kind of what your prayer life is like, but I would encourage you, if you don't yet have a, a daily discipline, discipline is such a heavy word, but a, a, a discipline of, of prayer. So one of the things that we tried to do very early on in our, our, our life as a family is at least... Um, at the end of the day and the beginning of the day. Not complicated, not big. All right, guys, let's huddle up. Lord, bless, you know, bless Ellen, Lily, and Andrew as they go about their day um, and then send them on. So prayer, um, praying at meals, making it, again, it's a discipline to, to, before you scarf it down, to say, all right, we're gonna stop and thank God. Yeah, that makes you all odd, different, holy, set apart. Okay, so worship, prayer, what else? What's a book that you might read that your non-believing neighbors might not read? The Bible. Okay, yes, yes. We're going to talk more later about um, how you might begin, if you don't already have a practice of regularly reading the Bible, and and so that it can bring you life and guidance and joy, um, so that you can set off on that adventure. But that, again, that's something your well-meaning neighbors, non-believing neighbors, are not going to do. That's one of the things that makes you all, us, odd. So, weekly worship, uh, prayer, seeking to know God in, in, in His Word, all those things make us um, odd, different, holy, set apart. In the book of Leviticus, so that's an Old Testament book. It's in um, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, the Lord said this, for I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy. Why? Because I'm holy. I'm different. I'm not like the peoples of the world. And you are not to be like the peoples of the world. Well, in the New Testament, the apostle Peter picked up on this very same verse in his first letter when he wrote this. He said, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but he who has called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So, Holy Spirit is committed to promoting our holiness. He not only shows Christ to us, this is who Jesus is, but he also forms Christ within us. As we discussed in chapter 2, the human heart is like a garden. Um, Now, we can't make the fruit of holiness grow, 
we, we've had a garden from time to time, and, and believe me, if we could make those tomatoes grow, we would do it. You, you can't make them grow. But what you can do is you can, you can till the soil, you can pull the weeds of um, when you realize, you know, that is not of the Lord in me. Lord, help me to pull that weed out. So you can cultivate the soil, pull the weeds, and so on. Um, but ultimately, the Holy Spirit is going to make that fruit grow. Fourth thing um, that the work of the Spirit does is um, the Spirit enables uh, Christian understanding. Jesus referred to the Spirit as the Spirit of truth. Now, what's, what's that mean? Holy Spirit te- begins to teach us over the course of our lives the truth about ourselves, some things that we can celebrate and rejoice in, some things that might cause us sadness, but truth to know ourselves, but also, of course, the truth about God. It's Holy Spirit who, in, who, um, who inspired the scriptures to be written. Now, there are a lot of authors of the Bible. You know, Matthew, written by Matthew. Uh, Mark, written by some fellow Mark, although we think we, um, he was really kind of a scribe for Peter. But the point is, they're different authors, human authors. But all of them were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the primary author. And since Holy Spirit is the primary author, it's great to have Holy Spirit engaged and helping you out when you're trying to understand it. So I'd encourage you, if you set it out to, to read a passage of Scripture, to stop and say, Holy Spirit, help me understand this. Help me to see Jesus. Help me to, um, to, be, to hear what you want me to hear. Because Holy Spirit is the primary author. It's good to get the author's um, insight. Fifthly, um, Holy Spirit enables Christian fellowship. That is, the Spirit draws us together in fellowship with one another. This is one of the things that's been so difficult about this whole pandemic is that the church, at its heart, is a community. It's not a building. It's not an institution. It's not a denomination. It's a community. And this pandemic has really um, put the pressure on on us and has prevented us from growing in community, but we are doing what we can to press back against that and to help help people get connected. Whenever um, young parents come, like Joe and Caroline came, you know, wanted to have their child baptized. Um, whenever parents come for baptism, we always ask them. The first thing we want to know is, are, are you engaged, involved in the life of the community? Are you part of the community? And if not, we want to help you get involved in the in the, in the life of the community because that's. Um, what, what you're promising to do for your child. And that's what Holy Spirit wants to do in you. So often, um, you know, we, we uh, in America can have a very highly individualistic spirit. We love Lone Ranger and the Marlboro Man, but the Christian life is a, a family life. You know, you'll hear people say, and um, Maybe you've known people who've said this. Maybe at some time in your life you've said this. You know, I don't have to be part of a church to be a Christian. Now, I always hesitate when I respond because sometimes people have been hurt by the church. And so they, they have a need to step away. And I, I, I understand that for a time, for a period of time. But if Holy Spirit is at work in a person, Holy Spirit is going to be drawing us together in community. That's what Holy Spirit does. So it's an affront to Holy Spirit to say, you know, I can be a Christian but not be part of the community. No, the Holy Spirit wants us to be in community. Uh, the Apostles' Creed put it, puts it this way. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. Church and Spirit go together. It's the Holy Spirit that draws us together in fellowship. 
So those two things are always tied uh, together. You can't have fellowship uh, by yourself. Paul put it this way in Ephesians. He said, there's one body and one spirit. The Nicene Creed says this, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Now, I want to I break those down. Those are the four marks of the church. I always get a question about Catholic, that word Catholic and what that means. Jesus came to begin a fellowship, first of all, that's one. Jesus didn't come to form a bunch of churches or a bunch of denominations, but one church. So we, all those who believe in Jesus are part of that one church, whether you go to a Baptist church or an Anglican church. If you're a follower of Christ, it's one church. Different little congregations, but one church. Holy, as we talked about, is supposed to be set apart. The people of God are going to be a little bit odd to those around them. Catholic, again, that's the word that's often confusing. This is not Catholic as in Roman Catholic Church, but Catholic meaning universal, spanning times and cultures. So, again, this is one great big church. This is not just the church in America, not just St. Philip's here in Charleston, but the church that spans the world and cultures, but also spans time. Uh, that's why Christians, we bury our dead out there in the churchyard. The Jewish people bury their dead out of town. They're unclean. But Christians, we say, no, they're part of the communion of saints. They're part of the church. So we bury them right out in front of the church. And then apostolic. That is, it is a church that is under the authority of the teachings of the apostles. Okay? Under the authority of the word of God. So those are the four marks of the church. Now I want to say this before I move on. Uh, being part of a church is not always easy. Sometimes being part of a church is painful. And um, people are often surprised by this, but, but I, I want to point out, so I'm, I'm married, Ellen and I have been married for, for 20 years, 21 years. I took a solemn vow in front of God and the whole congregation of people who were there at our wedding that I was going to love Ellen, my wife. I promised. Well, guess what? I don't always love her. In fact, sometimes I hurt her feelings. Why? Because these are two broken sinners that God has put together. Now, I don't like it. It doesn't feel good. I don't like it when I hurt her feelings or she hurts my feelings. I don't like it when we hurt each other. But that's what broken sinners do. In spite of the vows that we took. And so we shouldn't expect anything different in the church. Sometimes we are going to hurt each other. I might hurt you not meaning to, or you might hurt me, or y'all might hurt each other. And I'm not saying it's good. I'm not condoning it. I'm just saying it's part of the reality when broken sinners come together. And the same is true in the church. So you just need to be, don't be surprised by it. If, if husbands and wives can hurt each other, believe me, uh, brothers and sisters in the church can hurt each other. And we will from time to time. Uh, my favorite prayer in the wedding service is this one. Give them grace, not if, but when. What's the assumption? The, 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 when they hurt each other. So the assumption of this prayer is that husbands and wives are going to hurt each other. I love the honesty of this prayer. Give them grace when they hurt each other to recognize and acknowledge their fault and to seek each other's forgiveness and yours. It is Holy Spirit who allows us to forgive one another. This is true in marriage. And it also has got to be true in the church. We've got to be ready to forgive. Um, 
Uh, we're not going to get all the way through this. I want to do want to hit on Christian service, and then I'm going to let you guys go. Um, the sixth work of the Spirit is Christian service. The Holy Spirit is always trying to build up the church. Holy Spirit's who draws us together in fellowship, always trying to build us up. And one of the ways that Holy Spirit builds up the church for the great work she has been given to do is by giving each person a spirit, at least one spiritual gift. Everybody here has got a spiritual gift. Again, you may not be aware of it. You may not even know, have known that you have been given a spiritual gift. But all of us have been given a gift that we might take our part to build up the body of Christ. Um, I'm actually glad that Irene is not here because it embarrassed her if I pointed her out. But Irene, who makes coffee for us each and every Sunday, is using, she clearly has the gift of what we call the spiritual gift of helps, is my hunch. Because she loves helping, being in the background. She loves seeing you guys come together. She loves putting out the coffee. Probably she also has the gift, I would think, of hospitality. Um, but she's using her gifts. Why? For the building up of the church, to bless you guys so that we could be built up. So all of us are called to find our place um, in building up the church for the work of ministry. Now, in the Bible, there are four lists of spiritual gifts, totaling about 21 gifts. Those lists seem to be not exhaustive, but more kind of examples. Several times a year, we do a spiritual gifts workshop where you can learn about those spiritual gifts and, and can begin to identify the spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit's given you. So keep your eyes out. We'd love to have you be part of that. Um, We've not been doing it during COVID, but, but we might be able to begin to um, do that after our class um, concludes. So I just commend that to you. Um, again, the Holy Spirit has given you at least one spiritual gift. And what's the purpose of that gift? The purpose is to be used to build up the church so that she might be strong, so that she might be a light in the world, so that she might be a blessing, um, not only to us, but to those around us. Y'all, I've got a scoot. If you've got questions, drop me an email, send me a text, give me a phone call. We'll be off next week, but then back on the following week with Bishop Lawrence, okay? Well, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these, your sons and daughters and for the privilege of this time with them. And we thank you, Lord God, for Holy Spirit. And I ask, Father, in, in the name of your son, Jesus, that you would stir up your Holy Spirit afresh in each and every one of us. Um, Lord, that we have become aware of the prompting of your spirit throughout the day, um, that we might um, feel your calling to, to, to serve you in, in all that we do. And I pray as well, Lord God, that um, as we look forward to the service of confirmation, when some will be uh, confirmed or received, um, Lord, I look forward to that day when, when the bishop will pray for a renewal of your Holy Spirit and just pray that you would pour out your spirit afresh on that night of confirmation. But be with us and bless us um, as we walk through this holy week, um, Lord, that we might be a blessing to you and a blessing to those around us. For we ask these things again in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you all. I'll see y'all.